welcome to the Discovering Our Scars podcast, where we share personal experiences so we can learn from each other. Our mission is to talk about things you might relate to, but that you don't hear being discussed in other places. Our hope is that you're encouraged to have honest conversations with people in your own life. I'm Steph. And I'm Beth. On today's show, we're going to have an honest conversation titled The Reality of Being a Female Veteran with Katrina. So Katrina, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you are, we're we're in Florida and you're like across the country and by the wonder of technology, we're all able to be together today. I'm really am glad that you're here. Just to give some background, you and I actually went to high school together. We met in the marching band uh, back in the 1900s after high school, you, well, a few years after high school, you actually enlisted. And so just honestly, just from even watching your Facebook posts, like I've learned some things from you about the challenges that female veterans face. So I thought we could talk about that today because because this episode is going to release on Veterans Day. And we do want to say Veterans Day is when we honor everyone who has served in the military. It's different from Memorial Day when we honor those who lost their lives during military service. But this one is going to release on Veterans Day. And you are in fact a veteran, right? Yes. Anyone that served, and there's like a, a regulation of like what makes you a technical rest, uh, veteran. But in addition to being like the technical veteran, uh, I also deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan. Uh, did some time in the Philippines. I also went to uh, Korea. Yeah, and you were in the army, right? I was in the army. Why? Why the army? So the one of the reasons. <laughs> it's actually kind of so. Uh, being from Pensacola, everyone's navy. I didn't want to be stuck on a boat. Mm. Um, so I did not go Navy. I didn't really have ambitions of flying. Uh, so I didn't look at the airport or the Air Force that seriously. Uh, there's no way that I was going to be able to be a Marine, like mm-hmm. just up front. That was not something that appealed to me. Um, and honestly, I never <laughs> never really thought about the Army until I heard about the, um, the language, the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. And it was like, uh, learn a language, be fluent in this language, and then be in the army. Mm. And so I was focused more so on that learn a language, be fluent in the in the language. The in the army part was like kind of small print. I went in in 98, uh, but I, I flirted with it in like 95, 96. Okay. The, just the irony of like young and stupid. Um, I thought that I was going to be in Spanish because I took Spanish in high school. Mm. Uh, but I actually, I was in Korean. Oh. And so me, I was just like, what is Korea? Like, where is Korea? What is yeah, Korea? Yeah. Why am I learning Korean? And it was just like, well, this is cool. Cause Cin- like Cynthia's mom is Korean, like one of my classmates. And that was like the only thing I ever knew about Korea. Yeah. But you, I, but you said you also deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan, right? Right. Um, and that was because, uh, so I was actually in Korea when 9-11 happened in um, mm. 2001, which was really surreal. And then I came back stateside in the beginning of uh, 2004. And that's when things in Iraq were kicking up. So I deployed to Iraq as a Korean linguist as, oh. you know, why wouldn't I? <laughs> I did a tour in Iraq came back to Fort Drum, New York, which was like the coldest place mm. that I'd ever experienced in my life. And then from there, I was lucky. I switched languages from Korean to, to Tagalog, which is what they speak in the Philippines, because my choices were Arabic and 
uh, Tagalog. And yeah, like I had just been to an Arab speaking or, you know, an Arabic speaking country. Mm. So I, one of my goals was to not ever go there again. Mm. <laughs> um, so uh, I went back to Monterey, California, which was not horrible. And then um, because I was a Tagalog speaker after the language class, I went to Hawaii. Mm. And then that's when I deployed to the Philippines. And then after Hawaii, then I came to uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, which is Fort Lewis uh, in in Washington. Uh, in, it's near Tacoma. Mm. And while I was there, I went to, uh, to Afghanistan, which um, does not speak Arabic. So I did hang on to that goal of never going back to an Arab-speaking right. country. And one of the things to, to think about, because I don't want anyone to, to think like, oh, I hate Iraq or oh, I hate Afghanistan. Both places were beautiful places, rich with culture, but but those people were uh, opp- like oppressed uh, by um, in Iraq, like Saddam Hussein and and that whole regime, and then also to some extent by you know the U.S. forces because again, the the average citizen they just want to be able to go live their lives, raise a family, do all those great things, and and not worry about you know tanks rolling through their town or village and yeah yeah i i recently embarrassed myself with that whole thing about uh folks from afghanistan not speaking arabic because we have a number of families who have been relocated here in tallahassee by the international rescue committee and they've been relocated to an apartment complex right by the church i serve and so I was like literally outside one day and a family stopped by and asked if we could help them with some things, which of course we did. But I asked that question. I said something about Arabic and he said, you know, actually we speak Persian. And I was like, Oh, I'm really glad to know that. Thanks. But then this week I was, um, I spent some time with a family and they're from Syria and they do speak Arabic. So I was like, okay, I'm learning. You don't know how to speak any of those languages. I don't know how to speak any of those languages. It's different. I don't. It's true. I, so, I speak none of them. Did you? Were you an interpreter? Is that what you were doing? Um, not really an interpreter so much as uh, it's it's weird. Um, because because to to do interpretations that that is just a uh, one of those like really specialized skills that you have to almost be a native speaker to do. Um, although some people have been able to like immerse themselves in the language and and do um, interpretations uh, successfully, we were more of those um, almost like an early warning system where we kind of catch out phrases and like we knew what we were listening for, kind of, and then and then just kind of like having that cultural knowledge and and being able to speak basic um, so that we could kind of triage to one of those more fluent people so were you like walking the streets and just like listening to like random people or no no you- no oh. nothing oh. that cool <laughs> <Okay>. um <laughs> i think like star wars we were like i'm like, undercover <laughs> i'm picturing you in a big room wearing headphones yes oh. <laughs> with, That's no cool windows. Too. <laughs> with no windows with no windows wow it, okay, it, it's like it, a casino <laughs> it's like a casino there are no windows and no clocks that's amazing <laughs> oh no there's clocks there's clocks everywhere <laughs> <laughs> Well, when when did you leave? Uh, When did you separate from the army? So I got out in 2014. Uh, I didn't retire out of the army. um, And uh, I never regretted not doing my 20 because I was close. I was like 15 years. Mm. And so I had like, you know, my parents were like, why don't you just do that other five so that you'll be set for life, blah, blah, blah. 
And then it's just like, okay, well, one set for life, that's not a thing anymore. Some folks up at Congress decided that, you know, 20 years and then getting retirement was BS. So, which we'll leave the irony of that on the table. <laughs> um, the way that the reti- it used to be where you retired and you got like a pension, you got health care, you got all these things. Um, and that's something that, they, that they've kind of been slowly chipping away at. Uh, so it's never been enough to like really make a big splash in the news where it's like, oh, they're taking our everything. Um, but it's been enough to where, you know, they're trying to transition to like 401ks and then they're trying like, like with the healthcare, it's more like a supplement than like legit healthcare. And like, I was just, I was t- like, I was just, I was done. Yeah. Um, my like i always say that that just being in the military kind of ages you in dog ears Mm. i just yeah i couldn't do like my feet are busted my knees are busted my my hips make weird sounds i had a a doctor look at the x-ray of like my spine and asked me if i got dropped on my head oh which i thought was hilarious because you know that's what we say in the south like did you get dropped on your head as a baby (laughs) right but uh no i got dropped on my head in the army Mm. um and I mean, it wasn't it wasn't horrible, but again, like I was I was ready to d- to do something else, and just trying to stay in for five more years. Uh, I don't know. It was almost like you know, get out now and retain my soul, mm-hmm. or try to try to stay in for five more years and then see what was left. So when you came back to the U.S., you said your last posting was Fort Lewis. I think was it? Mm-hmm. Were you doing the same kind of work there, the listening, or was it a different kind of job? Um, I was doing similar work. Um, mostly my like Intel analysis was a lot of my uh, background, kind of like putting putting pieces together, trying to make, see what the puzzle looks like. Part of that is. So you described the job as being like in a room, like with no windows and like listening. So, but then you also described that you've had a lot of physical demand, it sounds like on your body. So how does that work? Cause I know like I've heard of like basic training where you have to go through like all those kind of lots of physical things. Did you have to do like physical fitness? Oh yeah. Every morning, uh, Monday through Friday, every morning we did PT from six thirty to seven thirty. Um, that was like another, uh, kind of paradox of the army. I don't know how much the army like invested in getting all of these physical therapists and nutritional whoever to write these manuals for like how to do exercise in a way that won't completely wreck your body. Um, and I'm sure those were fine pieces of work. Mm-hmm. No one, no one at our, no, I never experienced any unit that ever used it. So oh. we're, we're just doing whatever. And usually whatever was like, Oh, we're just going to run for like five, six, seven miles. Oh. And then, um, or we're just going to do like these kind of like, like crab walks or bear, just like Ew. these ridiculous exercises that are just like, who, who is this helping? Like what? And so it was almost to, to stay on top of like my uh, PT because we did take regular PT tests that were like at the time it was two minutes of push ups, two minutes of sit ups, and then a two mile run. So after PT, I was always trying to do more P like, like real PT now. And again, like it's a love hate uh, relationship at times because I love my time in the army. I love the people that um, I served with and I still, I still have some pretty strong bonds with, with most of the people that I served with. But then at the same time, I remember things like in Korea, we had to, they wanted, they told us we had to get all the rust off of this um, 
big monster trailer because it's getting shipped back to the U.S. So it's so important that it had no rust, no anything on it. And then we're like, okay, well, we're you know, like, let's, what are we using? And there are no cleaning supplies. And it's just like, how is this so important that we don't have any cleaning supplies? They were like, well, here's some brown paper towels, like those, you know, those, those, <laughs> yeah, the ones that you find in like a public bathroom, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and sticks. And I'm just like, <laughs> sticks, no, no. Well, why were you no. doing that? That's not your job. Would they just have you do anything, even though you were specialized in one specific thing? Yes, oh. exactly. So um, it was always a joke because let's see, I went through DLI for for Korean in like 1999 2000 like that time frame what's dli they would always uh the defense language institute that's the language place in monterey and they would always tell us how like it you know like you're getting this premium education like for civilians to get this education it'd be more than like forty thousand dollars a year blah 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 and then afterwards i would be like in the middle of like uh, a field somewhere like scooping up doing a chow hall thing where i'm scooping um beef stew into people's bowls and stuff oh no so it doesn't matter what you're specialized in you pretty much can do anything you do what they tell you to do yeah. i guess you do, yeah you do what you tell them like when i first got to to uh joint base lewis mccord jblm most of our job is done inside of like that windowless building it's called a skiff i think i went a year and a half without ever seeing the inside of a skiff when i was at when like, my first year at jblm hmm. because our first sergeant was he was this guy that really wished that he was an infantry guy so we were out like doing um like field movements like patrols where you'd get in the way like these things called the wedge and whatever but the funny thing is is like most of the the manuals are based off of the war before Mm. so a lot of those uh which Iraq was slowly starting to get on the books, but we were doing like a lot of Vietnam era, like training. And it was just like, yeah, I'm really glad that Iraq and Vietnam are so close to each other. And as far as uh, topography Mm -hmm. and climate, and it got even worse when uh, after Iraq was Afghanistan, because again, the, the, the infrastructure was different. The topography, like the climate was different. To the point where, so they have this vehicle, it's called a striker. And in Iraq, they had it where if you got, you rolled over an IED or thing that exploded, they got it where it wouldn't like just straight up kill you like it used to. So then they take this thing over to Afghanistan, which had more mountains, um, not as many flat roads. And then, and then it was just like, oh crap, this isn't going to work. I think they were called like the Kevlar coffin over in Iraq or in Afghanistan because again it wasn't built for that um that environment and so a lot of it was like a learning curve like oh wait now like let's let's uh make sure that we're i don't know it's it's just like we're always we were always playing catch up yeah but also it seems like just as someone from outside the military like almost a sense of hubris about it too like we're the u.s armed forces we're the way that we do it is the right way when maybe oh you know maybe it's not um I mean, um, I know that big institutions are hard. It's hard to make changes in big institutions, and the military is a big institution. Uh, it is a big that. institution, but then if you also look, I mean, there's a reason it's called like the the military industrial complex. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Iraq, um, and the army has like its own cooks, it's you're know, like all we're supposed to train for all of those jobs. 
as you could tell with my like scraping rust with a stick off a trailer uh, story, that doesn't mean that they were always proficient in those jobs. Yeah. So in Iraq, they paid, I don't even know how, like they paid contractors to do a lot of the, a lot of that specialized work that the army was supposed to be, you know, like mm. the cooks were supposed to be able to do. Mm. And I mean, it's no like general dynamics, uh, KBR, Casey, like there's all, there's just a big contractor, like, Presence. I don't know, sm- yeah. almost like smorgasbord out there. Like, mm. and, and you can tie it back, tie it back to see who's investing in who. Mm. Like with uh, KBR, Halliburton, like that was all Cheney, um, Bush. Uh, but it's 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 not like a one. It's not. That's one of the things that's not uh, divided along party lines. Mm. So like that whole like the. I don't know, gray areas is definitely a bipartisan effort. Mm. <laughs> um, when I went over there, I would get roughly like 2000 a month. And then I think I got like an extra 250 for combat pay. Um, meanwhile, the contractors, they wouldn't even roll out. Of, they wouldn't even roll out of bed for that much money. Mm. When I was in Afghanistan, uh, my husband, he was a contractor for general dynamics. He was making six figures. In, when we did our taxes, like, I wanted to flip a table uh, because again, he was making six, six figures. And I was like, you know, I was rocking that extra two fifty a month right. being in the same place. Yeah. Wow. So it's really best to be a contractor for the military than actually in the military. If yeah, you're but gonna... how, how disheartening because the, yeah. the money that the contractors are being paid is coming from us taxpayers. So why would we pay that money to somebody who's not committed to being in the service at the expense of those who have like that? That's disheartening. It is, and and uh, and it's one of those like follow the money. Right. <laughs> who who's invested in those corporations? Who's who owns their stock? Yeah. When did you um, get? Were you did you get married while you were still in the military? I actually, uh, don't know that. yes. So I got married in uh, 2011. I didn't ever think I was going to get married, especially while I was still in the military, because it's not like a two person relationship if you're with somebody that's in the military. It's like you partner and uncle sam mm. and uncle sam is mm. pretty much calling all the shots <laughs> yeah including like where you live what job you do what you earn oh what yeah that's are yeah yeah all of that but no i lucked out i met my husband he was a contractor working on base and it was weird because i didn't meet him on base but mm. because we were in such close proximity uh it was like we ran into each other a lot he didn't know that I was, he didn't know I was military. And so he's telling me about his tour in Iraq. The funny thing is he's describing this to me and he doesn't know that I've done this <laughs> a couple of times. And he had so many areas to like, kind of try to make it sound a lot cooler than it, than it really is or try to play it up. And I remember he never did that. Like he never tried to exaggerate it or make himself sound cooler. And that, I think that's when I was just like, all right, this, <laughs> this might be the guy. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Oh, that's that's cool. awesome. So during your time in the military, did you notice any difference between how you were treated versus your male counterparts? So it, it depend where it depended on where I was. And it's funny too. It depended on like what kind of unit I was with, but it was like, it was little things. Some of it is like things that I'm sure, uh, girls experience even now where you would play like tag football or whatever and um if you drop the ball like they would never throw it to you again because you're the girl meanwhile you had this one hot dog and dude that would never ever he'd catch it like maybe one out of five times right 
but they'd always throw it to him because like that one rare chance that he did catch it was great. Um, and then when I got out to other units, it would be a little bit, it'd be a little bit more pronounced. I remember when I got to Korea, it was a big deal because they had this phrase. It was like queen for queen for a year. And it, it's basically because you were an American chick in a place where American chicks were uh, in short supply. And so um, they would talk about girls being like really stuck up and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it's just kind of like casual misogyny. Yeah. Which was kind of funny because most of the guys there would, you know, they'd want to date like an, uh, a Korean girl or a lot of them would date um, Philippine and Russian women because uh those ladies were there as um they're called juicy girls in uh yeah in korea there's this concept where if you go to a bar on the up and up it's you pay a pretty girl to sit with you and she hangs out with you and she acts like she likes you the american version was a little bit more tawdry where like she basically act like she really 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 likes you Mm. while you're buying her juice Somebody else could buy her juice and then she'd be like, see ya, and go somewhere else. Uh, but you would see, like, we would have to tell people when they're coming in, like, if you're having to pay someone to sit with you, they're not your real girlfriend. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> but a lot of them came from a lot of, and I mean, it's sad for the girls too, because yeah. they would get, uh, there'd be ads in the Philippines or in Russia saying, you know, come over and be a, uh, be a hostess, a party mm-hmm. hostess. Because that's, I think that's what they were originally called like originally called like were hostesses and they would get to korea the the bar owner would take their passports and they're like this is how much it costs for uh, for you to get you over here plus a little something something extra that we're tacking on for funsies mm-hmm. and you cannot you're like and you're here this is what you're doing until like you pay that off and a lot of these girls are you know they're poor which is why they went over there to do this in the first place so they're sending money home and mm-hmm. so um, it was kind of in their best interest to find an American uh, that would, if you could buy them out of their contract, you know, if you yeah. could get an American to buy you out of your contract, mm. uh, it usually meant you probably had to marry the guy. So I just, like, yeah, it's just kind of sad all the way around for the girls because they don't know, they didn't know what they were getting into until they got there. Mm. Uh, for the guys, because it is, I mean, it's, it's, it can be really lonely up there. Yeah, I remember I spent, like, my first Christmas in Korea, and, uh, like, my first Christmas without my parents um, or being home, and it was just, it was really lonely. Like, I just yeah. remember I just, like, I just cried the whole day, pretty much. Yeah. So, I don't want to, like, paint these guys as being, like, these horrible human beings, although, I mean, some of them were, but that was that was just them. <laughs> right. That was, that was not distinct uh, or not related to their military service. It was just who they were. Yeah, yeah. They were just, they were horrible people without the military service. Yeah. Yeah. So was it legal for women to sell themselves? Basically, was that legal in the country? No, like so none of that's legal. How is the military the- allowing military men to buy these women? <laughs> I forget what there was a, when the world cup was in Korea and Japan, that's when people are, I think that some of the outside world was discovering this whole like juicy girl thing. Okay. It's one of those things where it's like, Oh, we shouldn't do human trafficking. And it's just like, well, we're not doing human trafficking. We're just going to bars. (laughs) And then, and then some guys would even be like, no, I'm saving her because I'm buying her out of my contract Mm. or buying her out of her contract because I care about her. 
And it was just, you would see people though, because I was in Korea when that was happening, because we watch CNN and see like these like huge people be like, what? I've never heard of a juicy girl. And we're just loud. It's like, okay. Yeah. Because there's a place in Seoul called Hooker Hill. And it was just like, and the whole thing too is like the hostess, the bar girl. That was a thing that it, that's, it, it exists in uh, Korea. It also exists in the Philippines and Philippines where it is. It's supposed. It's just a pretty girl to sit with you. Yeah. In some places, you can offer a little bit more and get a little bit more. So, at one hand, it was like, well, we can't really tell them what to do in their culture. But then there was like this spike and like, oh no, no human trafficking. Everyone knew it was kind of going on. It wasn't like the military condoned it because, mm-hmm. again, like we would have briefs where it's just like, if you're paying for someone's companionship, mm-hmm. they're not your friend, and. Like, we had problems with STDs, as you can imagine. Um, Guys that would just fight over these, like, they would just, they would fight over these women because it was like the biggest insult if a girl was sitting with a guy and then another guy would buy her a juice because she would have to get up and go where the juice was. Mm. Like, that wasn't on her. Like, that, like, the, like, the bar people, like, the bar owners would, would, like, kind of direct that stuff too. I don't even know where it would start to point the blame if I was if I were to like try to to stamp it out. See, my assumption is there's more men in the military than females. Is that would that be accurate? Yes. Okay. So no, that's incredibly accurate. Okay. So I'm curious when you were in the military, did you kind of stick out like a sore thumb being like one of the only females or was that were did they tend to put more females together so you know you kind of felt more comfortable like how did that work? So usually they would try, like, okay, so in the army, you always had a battle buddy. So even uh, it started in basic where, uh, so you were never like by yourself. You always had someone with you. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be someone of your own gender all the time, um, but you never went places alone. You always had your battle buddy. And like, so in the barracks or whatever, my battle buddy was a female. Um, or if I like went off post, I usually, uh, like I, I had, pretty strong female friends but then also you know a lot of male friends because there's a whole bunch of dudes in the army like no one talked to me without my guy friends knowing about it if that Mm -hmm. made it which is i know that sounds creepy as hell (laughs) and sometimes it was because Mm -hmm. i would have guy friends that were like hey why were you hanging out with so-and-so yesterday and like some of the some of the girls that didn't know people like you know that had shorter aits or they were going to a unit where they didn't know people um you had to be really careful because you would have like the like the crom uh, the camaraderie was a, a lot around drinking mm-hmm. especially in korea because again we're all like away from home uh there's not a lot of families there if you were able to get your family there then you were like there for three years so some people were like okay well i'm just not gonna bring my family so i tough it out a year and go back mm-hmm. yeah so somebody that would go there shorter like you never so you come on to the post especially like if you were a young girl and people would already know like in that you were coming and then uh like hey you want to come out drinking with us yeah and so now you've got somebody going with a whole bunch of people she doesn't really know that well you're in a country where again like even something like as simple as using the phone isn't straightforward and then you would just go out drinking these poor soldiers that would go out and just get just inebriated on another like a rock star level and then they would have to be somewhere at 6 a.m in the next day and then sometimes those buddies would just kind of leave them so now you're just like in a foreign country with a phone you don't know how to use 
because uh, not everyone had cell phones then either. There were times where it definitely wasn't safe for women because, again, a lot of activities centered around drinking. Mm-hmm. I remember when my roommate, uh, one of my first roommates came. She was really young. She was just coming out of AIT. I knew she was coming. But I wasn't the only one that knew she was coming because I would see these dudes walking up and down our halls, just mm-hmm. kind of like casually walking around. And me being me, I'd be like, hey, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> just walking right. around, you just walk around the hall. So right. what, what are you trying to hope to find? But it was, I also had that reputation, too, where um, it was kind of like, oh, crap, like she's going to be your roommate. So it's just like, yep, right. you better like start sniffing somewhere else, buddy. Right. She's She's protected. Yeah. I mean, there have, um, been, there have been a lot of stories in the last few years, it, just in the news, where we've learned more about female soldiers being the victims of sexual assault, and then the military covering it up. But then you hear stories like what you're sharing, and it's like, yeah, I mean, there were conditions that were created where maybe assault was more likely to happen. Oh, for sure. But then also kind of like just the, um, the attitude about it, too. I had a roommate. It was like my first roommate when I was in Korea. She left our room. And I was like passed out in the room because I was, I was drunk because Korea drinking. When she left, she didn't lock our door. And so I woke up and there was this dude in bed with me. Oh, no. Um, and so I was full, like, the, I was fully clothed because I just came from, <laughs> which is embarrassing. Because like, yeah, I didn't even get, I just went to bed in my clothes because that's how drunk I was. But I remember waking up and I'm just like, what? why is there, why is there why someone in bed here? with me yeah. and like he was fully clothed too and i'm just like do i know this person because in my head i'm like you know obviously i know this person because a stranger wouldn't just come into my room and get mm. in bed with me and then so i'm like i think it's like one of my friends because again i'm not i'm half asleep i might still be half drunk i don't even know and i'm just like hey like hey <laughs> what are you doing like what are you doing dude right and then I, he was just like well you know i saw you at the bar and i was thinking about you and i was just like okay this is not how my friend would talk to me so right. that's not my friend because right. again like because it's also it's dark too yeah i was just like um okay well i gotta go to work early so you gotta go and he's just like okay mm-hmm. and he left and i was just like that was really you know like yeah inappropriate that was really weird yeah because at the same time like i'm you know like i'm still like that I think I was like 22, 20, I don't like, but I was still that girl that, you know, just been in Pensacola where, yeah, yeah. it wasn't until he came back, like he came back again. Oh. And then that's when it freaked me out because I was like, wait, I don't, I don't know you. Like, I don't know you. I know we established you don't know me. Right. And also you were not invited here. Like when I invite you, you'll know. Exactly. But part of it too was there was this one building in the area where my unit was that was just all females. So everyone knew where all the females were because oh. there was like one female building and we had to have our names on our doors so that like our platoon sergeants could find us. Cause that was part of it too, because he knew my name, which is, that was like another huge reason that I thought that he mm. knew me. It got to be where later I, like I was really good at knowing whether or like, if somebody really knew me or not, because if they came rolling up like, Hey, Meryl, what's up? Then yeah, you don't know me. Right. Like you've got my name from somewhere, but you don't know me. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that guy, I think that guy, like, like the third time that he visited, 
then I like I wound up having him make like a police report on it, and then to come to find out that guy had just been going to random people's rooms and just wow. like he never raped anybody. But I mean, still unacceptable and odd behavior that is not okay so i mean based on you saying like you know there was a building of all women with their names on the door do you feel like the military did enough to keep men and women safe but specifically women in the military um not, i mean not really and and, I, and it's one of those things because well one i had a whole bunch of people that were like when that happened to me like why don't you lock your door dumbass and it was just like well yeah. When I came into my room, I did lock my door. Yeah, like, the, right. like I lock, I lock my door whenever I go in and out of a room. But yeah, if my roommate leaves in the middle of the night. She doesn't have the door locked. And then, of course, then there would be people like, "Wait a minute, why should you know? Like, why this should the, a locked, unlocked door yeah. be the like be yeah. the deciding factor in whether or not someone gets raped?" Right. And which I mean, like, which you know, I'm ashamed to say that that didn't cross my mind at the time because there was a lot of like personal accountability personal response like don't put yourself in a place where this will happen to you mm. so there was definitely that whole if something bad happens to you it's your fault kind mm. of mentality which is why like sometimes i'll like i still have arguments with people where they're like uh because i've done this with uh like if i've got a female if i had a female soldier i would see if she i would see if she had a pocket knife i would see if she had a, like a whistle and it was just kind of like me telling her, her like that, like, okay, don't do like all the, mm -hmm. the don't go out by yourself. Don't do this. And then it was where people were like, you know, that like, she shouldn't have to do that. Guys should just not rape. And it's just like, and I believe, and, yeah. and I feel like that 100%, but yes. at the same time, I'm going to give her like, I'm not like my intent isn't to shame this girl, but it's to, let me give you every, right. like everything I've got in my experience arsenal to keep you safe. Right. Both things are true. You know, that, that <coughs> women can be smart about their own personal safety and also men should not rape women. I mean, both of those things are true. But the fact that men don't have to have the same concerns that women do and carry the same things like that's still not OK. Uh, that men can just leave their door open and not be scared that a woman's going to come in and get in bed with them. I mean, that's still wrong within the military and within just society in general. I mean, that's a bigger conversation but you're right like the dudes they never lock their doors ever mm. and guys would just like walk and but i mean that was like guys would just walk into each other's rooms too because you know if a dude catches another dude shirtless it's not that big of a deal mm. and then i would have guy friends that would try to you know because i always come a door lock but i'd have guy friends that i could hear them like open the door Right. And then, and then ironically, like once I became friends with more guys, I locked my door more because I knew that they would just walk in. It was more like, okay, I don't want someone to walk in while I'm like taking my shirt off. So I'm gonna lock the door. Yeah. And there had been times too where um, I would be in the bathroom, you know, cause the bathroom was like, cause we'd have our room in, in the bathroom and the bathroom and have a closing door where um, I forgot to lock my door or whatever. And then I heard like a battle buddy come in, call my name. And then kind of like where I could tell they figured it out that I was in the bathroom and they'd just be like, Oh, and then they would take off <laughs> like, Oh, that's my bad. But then another, but then, like, but then in Korea again, uh, a year after this is like a full year after um, the one guy that got in my bedroom, we'd moved barracks uh, and I was taking a college class. And when I was walking back, this guy sort of followed me back for, and I don't even know when he started following me because 
um, I mean, because there were other people around, so I didn't realize it was being followed until I went into my room. And I walked in the room, and the, the thing was, walk in my room, set my books down, and then go back and, and lock the door. Well, he came in right in after me. Oh. And I was just, like, talking to him. Because I'm like, okay. Because, again, even after after my first experience, a year, people don't just walk in their room. They don't know you. But, I mean, but this is a little different because, you know, like, lights are on. I'm fully closed and sober. He, and so I'm just like, hey. And then I was like, do I know you? And he's just like, no, you don't know me. And then I'm just like, why are you in my room then? And he's just like, well, I just wanted to say hey. And then he left. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And so I'm just like, <laughs> How what in the hell? You know, like, what in the hell was that? Right, right. Come I mean, to find, well, no, he said, no, he was like, do you know me? He's like, I don't know you, I don't know you, but I know um, Justice. Justice was the girl that lived across the hall from me. So then I was just like, all right, well, you got to go. And he's like, all right, we're going, like, okay, see you, bye. It's nice meeting you. So I asked Justice, I was like, hey, your friend came over. Justice locks up, goes pale. The dude was stalking her. And so oh. it's just like, <laughs> yikes. And that was another soldier. That was somebody else who was in the service. Yeah. And it was another soldier. Like, and they're all soldiers mm. that yeah. this is happening oh to. Mm. And it was, it was because it was just so weird because I'm, then I'm just like, what in that? What, you know, like, is this a yearly requirement that we got to get a stalker? Or? Right. Yeah. It, it wasn't until later where it's just like, oh, these things aren't, these things aren't cool but even then so this is like way different like way later this was when i was in hawaii so 10 plus years after korea it was a unit golfing trip and so we went golfing it was fun blah 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 the next couple of days my sergeant major and so the sergeant major is supposed to be like that is like like the if, it, if we were a corporation he'd be like the coo the chief operating officer mm-hmm. Um, whereas the battalion commander would be like the CEO. So the sergeant major is just like, Hey, I don't even remember why. Cause it wasn't like, cause me just hanging out with a sergeant major wasn't normal. Uh, cause that's could just, cause again, like you wouldn't just go hanging out with a COO, but I remember it was something he's like, Hey, Hey, come here. You got to see this. I go into his office and it was the pictures from our, um, are like just random shots for hawaii and basically he like he was he called me in there so i could look at a picture of uh of me me and a group of people um he's like because it it was because my chest was so big and he's just like it's like you're smuggling midgets and i'm just sitting there like what like this is at work i'm in uniform he's in uniform and it's one of those like uh uh, like the like huh and then like you like i don't even know how to react except oh, yeah. for ha, 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 and then like walk off because again it's like you know it's like oh well you don't want to torch this guy's whole career just because he made a crack about your chest do you? so it's kind of mm. a, a that thing too where it's almost like if someone does do something inappropriate to you like you have to like that it's like on you to decide like wh- how far do you want to take it it's very easy for everyone to hate you Mm. because you know like oh we love sergeant major just because you're being a big baby Mm. that was like a very real thing when you left the military tell us about that like how did you you talked about you you decided that you weren't going to stay in for a full 20 but then what's it like when you decide that you're gonna you're gonna bring your service to a conclusion what's that like i know that one of the hardest hardest parts for me was i had uh PTSD, anxiety, 
all the fun stuff that comes with being a soldier. And when I left the military, I had uh, six months of like a transition healthcare. So I didn't go on base for healthcare, but the army would pay for it. But I needed to get like a lot of the prescriptions refilled for like the PTSD and the anxiety. So I was trying to establish like a primary care provider. And I remember I called this doctor or I called this doctor's office and told them I needed to establish primary care, answering the questions. And then they were like, well, are you on, do you have any current prescriptions now? And I was like, yeah, I take, and it, it's just like, like Wellbutrin and you know, like the fun stuff. I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't like yeah. I was asking for like dilaudinum or lithium or like nothing like that. Uh, but midway through the, the, the chick was just like, oh, you need a psychiatrist. And was just like, basically just made me feel like an, like almost like an alien wow. where it's just like, you can't just, a doctor can't do this. And then I'm just like, well, but I can't just go see a psychiatrist. Can I, I have to go, uh, you know, get a for referral. You, yeah. She was just such a jackass. Like mm. at the end of it, I remember I was just stunned. Uh, I was kind of like hung up the phone and I called my mom. And I just started bawling because it, it was just like, I didn't know what to do. And then it was just like, okay, now I'm like the broken Vietnam veteran. that's going to be walking around crazy on the streets. Um, Cause that was, you know, when I went in, like that was the generation, you know, yeah. like my generation when I went in, like that was like the past war was Vietnam. Yeah. And I just remember, like, I it, like it really rocked my like, because normally, normally I have like a pretty good grasp where things won't like I'll get angry or something like, and nothing that would like really rock my my foundation, but that kind of did. And like, and I mean, I remember I was upset. Like, I think I cr- like I cried on and off for like a day and a half about it because mm. that's like how upset I was. My husband Mark, he's just like, all right, well, let's let's go get like we haven't signed up for the VA because I, I was out soon enough where I hadn't signed up for the VA hospital yet. So I got signed up, whatever, went to go see, and then I scheduled later to go see a um a behavioral health person, and then they were like, well, some of the prescriptions that you're on are really expensive, so we want to like. Uh, monkey with them a little bit, you know, like we want to mm. play with them to mm. see if these are what you needed. Mm. And it's just like, okay, I've spent, I don't know how many years like monkeying around with my mental health to see exactly what right. special combo I needed. So I wasn't, that's not something I was looking forward to doing right. some more. Right. Luckily I found a, a doctor, but I just remember like one of the things that I was so angry at that first doctor, because again, like it shook me to my core and there's not a lot that will do that. Yeah. That I remember I called and I had a, like I called and had a meeting with that office manager where I was just like, do you know that this happened? And I was like, so somebody calling, I'm asking for mental health assistance and then to just get like somebody that's going to like just, just rude, like dismissive, not even dismissive, but judgmental person. Yeah. And then they were like, I forgot it came up that I was a veteran. And they're like, oh, thank you for your service. And it's like, don't thank me for my fucking service. <laughs> right. Like that, I'm not, this is not what I'm looking for. Right, right, right. And then they're like, and then they're like, well, yeah, because you're a veteran. Like, no. And even then, like, no, anyone calling for mental health assistance yes. should not be judged. Yes. Like, what if, like, what if, I mean, because again, really solid foundation. Right. I was crying for two and a half days. What if I was somebody that didn't have that? Right. And it shouldn't, and like, and that's like, and it shouldn't matter if I was a veteran or not a veteran because right. I'm not going to be happy that it happened to a civilian because right. it shouldn't happen to anyone. But then, but just also the, but don't thank me for my goddamn service on just on top of like this, like that's what? Right. <laughs> right. 
all of your actions have shown that you do not appreciate my service. That you do not appreciate mm-hmm. me as a human. That you do not see me as a person of value. And so don't throw that in. Yeah. So yeah. So so you don't need to. And and it's funny because sometimes even like um, I'll have like like the people that are like the right leaning leaning whatever that'll like come after me because I'm like you know this super left liberal, which is kind of hilarious in itself. Like I I lean left, but I'm not like I don't think that basic health care or taking care of people or just not killing people because they don't fit into your box. I don't think that's a radical thought. Right. But then even then like they'll totally like whatever. And then they find out I'm a veteran, like, oh well thank you for your service. Like right. it's like bless your heart. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. you don't actually yeah. mean anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. They that's definitely- when I'm like, don't think other than I'm just I'm like, don't thank me for my like no. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Well that that was one thing actually that that we were curious about is you know, after you left the military and you were, and you were integrating yourself into civilian life. And since you've been in civilian life, like, do you find that, that people do question whether you're a veteran because you're a woman? Like, are there, I don't know, are there, it seems like there are ideas out there that like, when we picture who a veteran is, we don't necessarily picture a woman. And I wonder if that's been an issue for you. Um, It hasn't been, it, it hasn't been an issue. It is definitely like one of those things where somebody will be like oh are you the spouse mm. and it's just like no i'm not the spouse i'm the especially when when uh when i was in with my husband which was funny because he's like a goatee and uh but they would just always they would thank him for his service and he's just <laughs> like yeah i'm not i never served but my wife did yeah. i don't know it's one of those like weird things and i, I even remember when i was in hawaii and i remember there uh, i was there with two of my my female battle buddies and we're sitting in the food court and we had this old guy like started asking when they started letting women in the military. And it's just like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> a while ago, friend, a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh. You, you missed a memo or two. <laughs> so being veterans day, um, when we release the episode, I'm curious, is veterans day something positive for you? Veterans day is kind of weird for me. Some friends, like, their favorite part about Veterans Day is, like, free food. And, and so, yeah. they'll, like, <laughs> plot out uh, the day plot out the day as far as, like, restaurants and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but as part, I, I, don't, I don't like to be in big groups of people. And, I like to, and standing in line is, like, mm-hmm. kind of tough <laughs> for me. So, so that's not going to, so that doesn't really work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, again, I'm proud of my service to my country. But I also feel weird about being, you know, like, I don't know, like putting mm-hmm. on a pedestal for mm-hmm. being a veteran, which is funny because then if I get dismissed, then of course, like, I'll let you know all the stats of how many people have served and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's always been kind of like that, that weird. It, it's almost like find a veteran that needs this more than I do, because I have done that like a couple of times. Uh, and, and another, like, just because I. And going back to like the thank you for your service, mm-hmm. um, there's been way more times that, that people have said that and like really meant it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, it's kind of like, you know, like what, what do I say? Like, oh, thanks. You know, like, right. oh, thanks. Uh, it's you're you welcome. Uh... You're well, yeah, you're you're welcome. <laughs> and so it's kind of weird because yeah. again, you know, serve. This is like I'm serving my country, which means like. The ta- you know like i'm yeah. serving the taxpayers so it's weird that somebody that i'm like quote unquote serving is saying like thank mm-hmm. i don't know and so yeah, yeah. so so um and again the, uh, i'm also not trying to lay all of that on some poor person that's just trying to be <laughs> yeah. 
be kind. You know, like try, yeah. you know, try to be talk. kind. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned how uh, it just is a little weird for you when people like, thank you for your service. Or when you get like all these meals, you're like, I don't want to go all these places. So how would you want us like civilians to treat veterans on Veterans Day? So almost kind of the, the best way, if you really wanted to thank a veteran, is to be an involved citizen. Mm-hmm. Like know what it is to be an American and, and like do that. <laughs> Seeing, especially like in this climate, how things are so divisive and people are like, oh, well, this is what I, this is what I'm hearing. So it must be true. Insurrection was, it wasn't that bad to have like the only insurrection in America's history in the damn capital. It's kind of like things like that. Cause when I, like when I was in Iraq, I was there for like their first election and just remembering all the security, all the, everything that went into like making sure that the Iraqi people were able to have like these free and valid elections so like to be in america and having that question like which i mean ask the questions yes because i'm not going to be happy if it's it's slanted either way and with and with women's rights this is it's kind of the same way like don't tell me that you care about these afghanistan women and their rights and then systematically try to strip rights away from american women then you need to understand not just your rights, but your responsibility as an American citizen. And just because something is right for you does not mean that this is what the whole country needs. Thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to be with us and to have this conversation. It just, I have missed you. And so it's so (laughs) great to be able to connect with you. And, uh, and I was really glad to have an excuse and um but but also just this conversation itself has been really enlightening and Stefan I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you and and, and I appreciate that too and cuz in this climate it's easy to kind of be jaded uh especially in regards to religion and Christianity. I have to say with 100% um sincerity that one of the things I've always appreciated about you Beth is that you've never lost the ref- focus that religion and God and love are, they're all together. Anytime that I was ready to kind of just like ball it up and throw it all away and become an an atheist, which I believe in God, so I don't even know why that would have been an an avenue for me. Your message has always sunk in. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. At the end of each episode, We end with questions for reflection. These are questions based on today's show that Beth will read and leave a little pause between for you to answer for yourself, or you can find a PDF on our website. Number one, how do you celebrate Veterans Day or do you not celebrate it? Why? Number two, do you know anyone who is or was in the military? Have you ever had an in-depth conversation with them about it? Reflect on that. Number three, Did Katrina's experience change or confirm your thoughts in any way on women in the military? And number four, did you or would you ever consider joining the military? Why? This has been the Discovering Our Scars podcast. Thank you for joining us. 